Wow, that's exciting and wonderful. Not only exciting, but it's it's amazing for life for your your brother-in-law. I mean, that's wow. Jesus is good, isn't he? He's so good, and we need to get more, become more efficient and effective in our praying for the for the sick as well. Well, good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. Glad you're here. Are you awake this morning? Okay, if not, you can stand up. Go ahead and stand up, please. Stand up, please. We're actually going to recite the Lord's Prayer, so I tricked you, but that's okay. It was for a good cause. Is that the ends justifies the means? Is that okay? Let's recite the Lord's Prayer, but not just recite it, but let's Let's let it sink into our heart, into our head and into our hearts. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, and forgive us forgive those who try, sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now you may be seated. I'm used to different translations, so that kind of throws me off sometimes. But it's all good. I like this. It's a good translation. Okay. Wow. Here we are. The Christmas season is upon us. As I mentioned earlier, this is probably the... It's probably been 2000... 22, 23 years since Jesus was born because of the calendar calculations and so forth over the year. He was actually born 4 or 5 B.C., which really isn't accurate either, is it? Because there never was a B.C., because Christ has always been. A little bit, sounds like a trick statement, but it's not. Christ has always been. He's the one who holds and created it all and holds all things together. But his coming to the earth, he has come, and we recognize his human birth here on the earth, and that many years ago. And I was thinking about it as we were singing some of the carols, and I thought the anticipation of the the uh, early Hebrews, you know, the Jewish people and so forth, the anticipation of the prophets and so forth that were waiting and anticipating, reading the prophecies, reading the scriptures. There's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of scriptures of Jesus' coming, the first coming. I think there's something like 365 scriptures of his first coming. Isn't that amazing? And I thought to myself, what would it be like if we were there waiting with that anticipation. But then I also stopped to think about, but we are still in anticipation, because we're anticipating his second coming. And the first coming, as they anticipated that, and studied, and many of them missed it, but as they they were longing for that first coming, I thought, so... Did they think perhaps this is ever going to need to come? Will it come in my lifetime? You know, can you imagine what they were thinking? If you kind of put yourself back into that time period or back into that mindset to see Christ came in a world full of darkness. Let's pray. Father, as we come here this morning, we thank you and praise you that you came into this dark, dark world 
run and ruled by evil, and you brought the purity of the Lamb who was to be slain for the sins of mankind. And we thank you, Lord, for sending yourself, bringing yourself through Jesus Christ in a human body, living in a dirty world, and overcoming it. And we thank you for giving us life. So, Lord, as we speak, as I speak this morning, I pray that you will give me your anointing and wisdom, your words to speak, and it would touch people's hearts, that our eyes would be open, our ears would hear, and our hearts would comprehend, that we could be faithful unto you. In Christ's name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And that's towards the, the back of your Bible. Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter. And we'll pick this up in verse 8. Wish I had more time, I'd read the whole part of the chapter. But we'll pick it up in verse 8. and says, And though you have, seen, you have not seen him, Peter writes, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Do you feel that way ever? Joy inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come, this is before Christ was born, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry. That's very important. Careful search and inquiry. Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them, the Holy Spirit, was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, but us. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel... To you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels longed to look. Things in which angels longed to look. This gospel, when you heard the gospel for the very first time, it was something the angels longed to see. The angels longed for that. Isn't that amazing? We just say, well, you know, the gospel, thank God he saved me, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, that kind of a thing. It's almost by rote sometimes for some, for some folks, isn't it? But it never should be like that. This great gift of Christ coming to us, angels long to see into this, into these mysteries. The prophets long to see, they prophesied for centuries and centuries and centuries. They weren't ignorant, they weren't stupid people. And they were prophesying by the Spirit of God within them, speaking out. And I'm sure as they spoke these words out, they probably, or wrote these words out, they probably stop at times and scratch their head and say, Oh my goodness, what did I just write? What did I just say? This is profound. Could this really be happening? And it has happened. It has happened. And the gift has come into this world. Let's take a few moments just to look at some of the prophecies about Jesus' coming. And I think one of the most profound prophecies is in Genesis. 
So if you'll just have a little patience with me this morning, we'll, we'll read a few scriptures, and then I'm going to share some, more th- some other things, and then end with a message of hope, a hope for all of us. We know way back in Genesis, remember you have to go back to those first places, and we find that Adam and Eve sinned. I know some of you are very familiar with this because I, I've, I use this as a premise for so, so many of my sermons, but we know that Adam and Eve sinned, and they fell, and they went back, or they, were, they, were, they, were, they died spiritually. The spirit man is no longer alive, and they're reduced to soulish type of living, natural people, men of the earth. Whereas the, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, came what? As a man of the spirit, right? Not of the soul, but of the spirit. And so he overcame all. But this is the promise that Jesus, that the Father had. And he said in verse 14 of chapter 3, And the Lord God said to the servant, servant Because you have done this, because you have beguiled the woman, and you have deceived her, Cursed are you more than all the cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you should go, and dust shall you eat. And the days of your life, all the days of your life, and I will put enmity, that's like war, battle, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. That is, Christ is who he's talking about. Right here in Genesis, right out of the gate, so to speak, God is saying, I have someone who's coming. And he's going to bruise your head, Satan. He's going to stomp on your head. You ever hit a snake on the head? You ever step on a snake? Not on its head? A lot of fun, isn't it? You almost stepped on a snake. Won't go there today. You shall bruise, he, he shall bruise you on the heel, and that refers to the crucifixion. And you shall bruise him on the head. And that refers to what Christ's authority of ruling over, uh, over the devil. So right away, God is giving us this promise. Even though he said, when you sin, you shall surely die. They didn't die quickly, a natural death. They died in their heart to the things of God. But now God is saying right then, he says, but I'm bringing a redeemer. I love this race so much. I'm bringing a redeemer. I'm sending him. He's coming. So all through the Old Testament, there's this whole story of Jesus coming. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. Anticipation, anticipation, prophecy. And, of course, the devil's at work to try to stop the bloodline, isn't he? He's trying to pervert the bloodline. He's trying to bring in sexual immorality. He's trying to get them to worship idols, the Israelites, the seeds of Abraham. And he's trying to get them to worship idols so that it'll bring a curse on their life and on their family so that this one can't be born, that can't come to the earth without sin. But he comes. And that's amazing, all the different prophecies. Let's take a look at a few more. Let's look in Isaiah. I read one this morning as we opened up the service. Here we go. Isaiah. Isaiah 9, of course. Actually, I have a little booklet here that I can probably read, find them faster. Nope, not quicker. I'll do it this way. (laughs) 
For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government, government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Is Jesus God? He's Mighty God. He's even called the Eternal Father. I am the Father of one. He's called the Prince of Peace. This is very important. He's the Prince of Peace. Without Christ, there is no true peace. There will never be true peace on the earth. The scripture is very clear about that. There will never be true peace on the earth. There will be peace at times and seasons and among nations, but there will never be true peace until the Prince of Peace comes and establishes his government. In fact, in the end times, which I believe we're living in, there's going to be many that are saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Peace, peace. We're going to make a peace treaty. We're going to make a deal. We're going to make... And we know that the Antichrist, is that's one of his deceptions, isn't it? He's going to make peace. He's actually going to have a peace deal with Israel for a short period of time. And so we must look out for that. Does that mean we're to be people of war and cause chaos? No, that's not what I'm talking about. But when we're looking at the world, let's not have a false sense of peace and security and hope. That truly comes only with Christ. And much of what's going to happen in the world is only going to get worse. So, But we belong to his kingdom. And that's the most important thing. We belong to the kingdom of God if we belong to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So peace. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the church will never die out. So what he's saying here, the church, the kingdom of God will never die out. Jesus said the gates of hell will not what? The, 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 the gates of hell will not. His church it cannot destroy his church. But it can, do, it can harm the church greatly. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Okay, let's move ahead. A few more scriptures. <clears throat> And in Isaiah, oh, there's so many, I'm skipping some right now, but I want to look for, for some um, that are very... Here's one, Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For, for behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you, and nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Speaking about Christ. The Spirit, in verse 61, chapter 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted? Do you know some brokenhearted people? Good news, because Jesus has come to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. They used to, when they were in grief, they would sprinkle ashes upon themselves and rend their clothes, rip their clothes apart. But Jesus said, I'm, I'm bringing a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he may be glorified. 
Isn't that good news? Oh, there's so many. One other I'd like to read, and that's out of Isaiah as well. I skipped over it here. Excuse me. Isaiah 7. Therefore, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Isn't that incredible? Over and over and over, the scripture testifies of Jesus' coming. Over and over. The scripture tells about when he would be born, out of Daniel. The scripture told when he would be cut off, when Messiah would be cut off, when he would be crucified. This Jesus that we serve, we're not just serving some fable or some, some concept, some religious concept that somebody has cooked up over the centuries to make money from or to control the people or such. But we're, we are serving a real Jesus Christ, a real Messiah. And we've got that privilege today to know him and to know him personally. Do you know that? You can know him personally. You can experience him In my early Christian walk, I had lots of doubts. I came to Christ. I knew there was something different that happened. I came alive inside spiritually. I was hungry for the Bible. I tried to read the Bible when I was a kid. I had a Bible from church. I would get to the begats, and then I would stop. And it was just, it just, I couldn't do it. I remember there was a little girl in school. Well, she was in my grade grade school, and she came and told the teacher she'd read the Bible all the way through. And I thought, I'm going to try that, but... I couldn't do it. But once I came to the Lord, and the light of Christ began to to burn in my heart, I began to read the Bible, and I couldn't stop reading the Bible. And the Word of God came alive in me and began to change my life. I told you my nephew in Texas, who he called me a few years back, and he said, Uncle Gary, I've been reading the Bible. I said, Brandon, that's great. He said, yeah. He said, I found out there's some things I'm doing I shouldn't be doing. And I found out there's some things I should be doing that I'm not doing. But most important, the Lord was getting a hold of his heart and changing him. And he was coming back to the faith that he once had, that his parents had, had influenced him with. This is a wonderful thing, this Jesus, this coming of Jesus. It's an incredible, incredible time of year. Now, not only... Does Jesus come to save us? But Jesus came to make himself the Lord of our life. The government is on his shoulders. You see, we have dual citizenship. Do you know anybody that has dual citizenship? I had a friend who was an American, an American pastor in Denver, and he lived in Toronto for so many years, he decided to get Canadian. And he told me he had to swear allegiance to the Queen. And I said, Fred. I said, this, I just, I can't, I, I, it's not on my... It's not in my, in my mindset to swear allegiance to the queen, you know, as a good American. But he swore allegiance. He had dual citizenship. But we have a dual citizenship as well. If you're, if you're born in this nation, you have all the rights of a citizen, right? And that's very important. The Apostle Paul talked about the rights of a citizen. He is a Roman citizen. He, has, he had rights as a Roman citizen, born as a Roman. Didn't have to buy it. He, he was freeborn as a Roman citizen. But he also said, we have a dual citizenship. 
We're citizens in this heavenly realm. What's so great about this heavenly realm? Besides the fact that we're going to be with him someday, besides the fact that we're going to heaven to be with him and live eternal. It's the power of the gospel. It's the power of Christianity that you and I live out every day. The influence that you have around your surroundings, around your workmates, wherever it might be, there's an influence. The influence of Christianity in this world is immense. Now, if you listen to a lot of secular things, a lot of you're going to hear Christianity bashed and bashed and bashed. Anybody notice that? Is it increasing? I, I think it's increasing from my experience. But look at some of the things, <clears throat> excuse me, let's look at some of the truths, and I don't have a lot of time to, to elaborate on this, but let's look at some of the things that Christ has accomplished, or Christianity has accomplished in the world today. Now, by saying that, I have to say that Christianity is like leaven. It's not the leaven of a hypocrisy, but like how leaven works in a loaf of bread, or a loaf of dough, right? You put a little yeast in, it's exposed to yeast, and it goes through the whole thing, right? Now, that's, and there's a negative side of that that Paul the Apostle writes about, very negative. But there's also a reference to that when Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God is like leaven that a woman put in a measure of dough, flour, and it spread all through. And it continues to spread. When we look at Christianity, people will say, well, the issues and many of the things that Christianity has changed in society, many people will say, well, Jesus never spoke against those particular topics. For instance, Jesus never spoke against slavery. Jesus never really spoke too much about how women were treated. And there was a lot of things he didn't speak about. But the influence of Christ's teachings, the heart of his teachings, were such that over the centuries, Christian believers began to realize, in time, some things take a lot of time to change the culture. And the Christians began to say, you know what? If there's liberty in Christ and there's dignity in humanity, then why are we closing a blind eye to the slave trade? And so the abolitionists in the Western world were Christians, primarily. And one of the foremost of those was a man named William Wilberforce in the early 1700s, who gave his whole life for the abolition of slavery and to to destroy the slave trade. Isn't that amazing? He was a member member of parliament. And instead of going into the ministry that he called, felt to do, he said that his friends advised him, he said, you know, you could do more in government against slavery than you can probably in a local parish someplace. And all of Wilberforce said, man, well, John Wesley said to him, all the devils in hell will try to destroy you because Satan is the one who brings about bondage. But the results are Christianity has destroyed much of the slave trade. It still goes on in the world, especially sex trade. But Christians are some of the primary soldiers against that. Okay, let's look at some other things here. How did the world, how has the world changed because Jesus came? 
How is the world changed? How women are treated is one of the primary ways, or primary things that we can notice. How women are treated. Now some people will say to you, well, women, you need to just keep quiet in the church. Shut up, because you're deceivers. Adam, Eve was deceived, and so if we let women speak in the church, you're going to deceive us all. But those same people will send their children to a university, pay tuition to have a woman teacher, and teach whatever she wants to teach, perhaps. That's not a problem, but not in the church, right? In fact, the Bible doesn't, I don't believe the Bible teaches that women should be silent in the churches in the way that it's being taught in this world today, that women are to be, it was a cultural thing that was happening. I didn't mean to get into all this. But the women were finally allowed into the church. They weren't allowed in the synagogues. They were allowed in the church, but it was, they were separated by a, a, uh, a lattice type of thing. They were in the back room, and they would be loud and noisy, and they would be asking their que- husbands questions and so forth. And Paul was really saying, I don't allow wives to be... They need to be quiet. Be quiet. Keep order. Keep order when you come. You can ask your husbands the questions when you get home. And so there's there's this context, 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 context. But Jesus gave women rights. Jesus lifted up marriage. Did he not? He said, between a man and a woman. In the days that he said that, it was common for men to have a number of wives, polygamy, it was common for men to have a wife and then to have a number of mistresses. It was perfectly, perfectly acceptable. Homosexuality was common and normal. Bestiality was common and normal. And Jesus brought dignity back into marriage and back into to, to woman, to the woman. He liberated women. He's the absolute. In fact, the Apostle Paul as well said, there is now, therefore... What? In the kingdom of God, there's neither male or female, right? Slave or free, Greek or Gentile. He gave rights and liberty back to, to women. Before, women were treated like slaves. Another thing the influence of Christianity brought about was health care. Before, people would just go to their temples, gave a sacrifice to some idol, and they would, the, the temples would be filled with the infirm and the sick and the dying. But Christianity had compassion, and they began to minister and doctor people. In fact, we can look at Florence Nightingale. The Red Cross started out as a Christian organization. The hospital systems came out of Christianity. Education. There's always been education, but education was primarily Christianity, the Christians, made uh, education a, a uh, very important part of child raising because Christians wanted their children to learn how to read and write so they could read the Bible and read Fox's Book of Martyrs and educate girls. It was primarily men that were educated in days gone by. There's exceptions, of course. But Christianity saw that women needed to be educated as well. So they allowed women to be educated. Okay, dignity of labor. Dignity of labor. We were just talking about that in our conversation. Dignity of labor. The Protestant work ethic. 
where Paul said, if a man doesn't work, don't feed him. And so Christians, particularly through the Reformation period, 1500s, began to teach there's dignity in work. It's good to work. Make enough money that you can help the poor. Make enough money that you can contribute to the kingdom of God, not just to build these huge cathedrals and such, but as John Wesley said when people were asking him about finances, he said, make all the money you can, save all the money you can, and give all the money you can. It was revolutionary. So the monetary system, or the, or the labor system, laziness, idleness, was considered sinful. We, we dare not be idle. We need to be work. We need to be ambitious. We need to make a contribute to society and to our homes and society. Private property rights, something that came because it began to recognize the rights of the individual. There's always been private property, I'm sure, but not for the poor. The masses did not have a right to own land. It was only their masters and lords. Okay. Charity for the poor. The concern for people that aren't, are, are less better off than we are. So charity and charitable organizations began to develop through Christianity. And again, it didn't happen two years, ten years, twenty years after Jesus' death. All of these things came into place. But in time, the influence of Christianity. So charity for the poor. Arts and music. We went from the minor keys to the major keys. And we saw some great, wonderful, amazing art that really developed through the Reformation period, isn't it? Some of the great masters of that time. So those are a few things. Uh, cannibalism. People used to, poor people used to eat the dead. They'd throw the dead people out of the city gates and the poor people would, would feed on them because they had nothing to eat. And that's horrible kind of things. But the world was a very dark place before Jesus came in in many ways. So what we see today, you know, the good things that we see today, we have to realize it's because of the Christian culture. And I often say America is really built on the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, right? Now, even, even, even secular people, even, even or atheists would say, yeah, let, we need to treat people as we want to be treated, right? Isn't that something that we see oftentimes, that attitude? We don't all, always see it, but it's, it's there. It's, it's ingrained in our culture. So Jesus has made such an impact in our world today. Well, the question is, what is the impact he's make, is he making in your life? And what impact are you making with your life? What are you doing for the kingdom of God? Isaiah, again, says that he came to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up our wounds, to bind up our life. Are you an influence? Are you, uh, are you a messenger of the Lord where you are making and going the extra mile for people, treating them as you'd like to be treated? You know, one of the things we just looked at today when Russ gave us this uh, 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 birthday for Jesus. Birthday for Jesus. Yeah, thank you. It's been a long week. Birthday for Jesus. And you all dug, I'm sure all of you or most of you dug into your wallets and you put some money in there. Why? That's a Christian thing to do, isn't it? That's not normal in a lot of countries. 
It's not normal. It's not the normal thing in certain parts of the world. I've, you know, places I've been. I've been to a lot of places, but some of the places I've been, it's not normal for people to be generous just to give money. You have to get something in return. It's the Christian heart. That's how one, a few of the ways that Jesus has changed the world. Aren't you glad? So wherever you are today, I'd like to close. It's a short message, but I just want to encourage us. And I'd like to read out of, um, out of Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, which is Jesus quoting Isaiah, which I just read. Okay, we doing okay this morning? You thinking about your Christmas presents? The kids are thinking about their Christmas presents. <laughs> I know what you're thinking about. You're thinking about how I'm going to pay for those Christmas presents, right? <laughs> okay, Luke 4.18. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Do you know that the Holy Spirit has come? He was poured out on the day of Pentecost. He was poured out in, uh, in uh, Cornelius' household. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you and I up. He wants to baptize you and I with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a wonderful news? That we may be empowered and emboldened to share this glorious gospel. And he gives gifts to us. The gifts of the Spirit as we walk in this darkness. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Luke 4.18, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. When Jesus was on this earth for about three years, he did that all by himself primarily, didn't he? He sent out his teams. But he's gone from the earth. But he poured out his spirit upon the church. And again, as I said, on the day of Pentecost, and in Cornelius' household. Why? Because he's pouring out his spirit on you and I, that you and I may go do the works that he has started. That we may further the kingdom of God. Because if we don't further the kingdom of God, what happens? The dominion of darkness grows, right? As we turn out the lights, it gets dimmer and dimmer in here. But Jesus, as the light of the world, wants to continue to light us, to fill us with his oil, that our lamps would be filled, that we could burn a bright flame. Now, some of us need to take another step. This is a short message today, but some of us need to take another step from where we're at. And we need to take that step into a place of saying, okay, the year has gone by. I look back at my life, and I realize I can do a whole lot more. That I have a whole lot more potential for this glorious kingdom. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Lord, I ask you to show us, each one of us, individuals, what things you have for us in this coming year. Lord, how can I make a greater impact for the kingdom of God, for Christ's government? How can I be a greater example to reach more people for the kingdom of God? for your Lordship. Just go ahead and pray your own words. There may be some areas that you need to say, Oh dear Lord, forgive me. I've gotten caught up. I've been 
so distracted with this and distracted with that. That's what the devil likes to do, is distract. What are the areas, what are the callings you have in my life that I can continue to grow in? So, Father, I ask you to speak to each person here that we wouldn't just squander our lives away, but we would have purpose for our lives, purpose that's eternal and receives an eternal reward. Oh, God, we thank you for Jesus who came. We thank you, Lord, how you have set us free. You've taken us from the dominion of darkness into your marvelous light. You've taken us, as Paul said, you were darkness, and now you've made us the light of the world. But you warned us, don't don't put your lights under a bushel. So, Lord, show us how we've put our lights under a bushel this, 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 this prior year, Lord. We ask that our lights would burn brighter and brighter. We ask this in Christ's name. And we give you all the glory and all the praise, Lord Jesus. For you have called us to be mighty men and mighty women of God. Lord, I ask you to bind up the brokenhearted. I ask you, Lord, to encourage the faint-hearted. I ask you, Father, to continue to pour out your Spirit upon us. Give us as a church body and for this community, for our nation, for the body of Christ, a desire to be filled with your Spirit in greater measures. And we give you all the praise and all the glory because you are faithful. And we thank you, Lord, for being faithful this last year. Let us be faithful this coming year. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And everyone said amen. I hope. If you like prayer, if you need to recommit your life to the Lord, if you need to commit your life to the Lord, if you have a prayer need, if you need healing in your body, look at this amazing testimony that Diane gave. That should encourage everyone. If you need healing in your body, whatever it might be, we'll have some people up here that will pray with you, and you can live a victorious life because Jesus paved the way.